Uh, hey, uh, we have been doing something this past week. This past week, we called this our week of prayer and joined up with with thousands of churches across America. Some churches are even upping the ante and doing 21 days of prayer. And uh, hopefully what we're doing will last well beyond 21 days. But over the last week, we had our worship center open from 6.30 to 8.30 in the mornings and 6.30 to 8.30 in the evenings and just invited you to come and pray. And so many of you did. And it was just such an awesome time of experiencing God's presence and just finding a place to just seek after God, whether you were here for a few minutes or you were here for the whole two hours. I just want to personally say thank you. As a pastor, I, I want you to know prayer is not just something we do in a whole long list of things to do. Prayer is the foundation of this church. And the things that God has for this church and the things that, that we can accomplish in the spiritual realm will never happen if we don't pray. Thank you, because it's true. I think there's going to be untold miracles when we get to heaven where God will say, hey, I long to do this. I long, it, was my, it was my desire to do this, but you never asked me. And so I just backed up and let you do your thing. Prayer is so much more vital than what you and I can even begin to imagine. And as we were praying, uh, last night I, I was here praying from 6.30, 8.30, and my friend T-Rex back there, he was you, you were here for quite a few of them this week, man. I love it. I love it. And so we're, we're praying. And uh, as I was, pray, I was pacing up here, just, and that's how I pray. I'm, some of y'all, you can, you can, you, you know, you can bow at a chair and pray for like hours at a time. Like I can't do that. I fall asleep. So I got, I got to be pacing. And so I'm up here last night pacing and I had my Bible with me with my sermon notes inside. And, you know, I'm, I, I keep going to look at my sermon notes. And at one point I just felt it wasn't out loud. There wasn't something spooky. It was just this prompting in my heart of you're not preaching that sermon tomorrow. And I was like, well, that's an interesting thought. I know that's straight from the hell <laughs> because I don't have anything else to preach, right? And then I recognized, no, that I'm being sarcastic. That wasn't hell. And so I'm just like, okay, God, if, if I'm supposed to preach something else, you got to put it in my heart because I'm not going into this thing blind. Like you got to show me what I'm supposed to preach. And, and instantly he gave me this verse and it's a familiar verse. You, a lot of you have been, if you've been around church world, growing up, you know, going to church things, you, you probably have heard this passage of scripture that we're going to get to in a few minutes. So I'm going to take some time to get there. But, but he put this in my heart and I just knew in a moment, in an instant that this is what we were supposed to do this morning. See, God loves you. Every person in this room, God loves. Every person watching online, God loves you. He loves you so much. He created you. Like he put his breath in you. Like even when you were in your mother's womb, even if you, maybe you've always thought of yourself as an accident, always thought of yourself as, as an oops, no purpose, no, that I want you to know, even in your mother's womb, God was knitting you together. The Bible says that we literally have his spirit, his ruach, which is an, another way of, of, of interpreting that as his breath, that his breath is inside of us, that we are different than every other creature and every animal that exists because we have the breath of God. We have the life of God inside of us. And I want you to know God loves you so much and his desire, he has an intent, he has a destiny, he has a purpose for your life. And you're only gonna get to know that when you are in alignment with him. As long as you are outside of the covering of God, as long as you are doing your own thing, you will not truly fully recognize what God has for you. For every follower of Jesus, man, really the ball game is getting in alignment with the Holy Spirit, getting in alignment with what God is doing. 
Last week, we started the series Fresh Start, and last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, and, and if you weren't here last week, man, I'm just telling you that, that, that Paul is like a head coach of a football team at halftime, and he comes in, and, and he loves his players. He doesn't say this because he's mad at them. He doesn't say this because he, he doesn't like them. He comes in because he loves them, and he sees the potential in them. And, and one of the things, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one of the things that he says that, that if you were here last week, I hope is echoing in your spirit, is he said, run to win. He says, a lot of people out there running. But he says, you follower of Jesus, you need to run to win. And I think this is such a prophetic message. The reason why I'm bringing it back up today is I think too many American Christians are just going through the motions. And I'm not saying that because I'm mad at you or because I'm trying to be mean. I'm saying that this has been my story in my spiritual journey that if I'm not intentional and if I'm not strategic and if I'm not paying attention to what's going on, I slip into this place where Christianity is just this thing that I do and a whole list of things that I do. And Paul is saying, look, you got to run to win. Stop just kind of, you know, have you ever had any, any of your parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles have a child in your life who just kind of just meanders or slowly struts through life and you find yourself constantly going, come on, let's move. Any of you got one of those in your life? They're a gift from God. God, God's put them in your life for a reason. There's purpose and destiny and all that, but they just don't move so fast. And I feel like the heart of God for his children, for us in this room, is he's saying, come on, let's go, let's move. Then he's saying, you know, all these other athletes that you see around them, and back in Corinth, remember, Corinth had the second largest um, uh, athletic game, second only to Olympus. And so the city of Corinth knew athletics, and he says, look at all these other athletes out there. They, they are disciplining their bodies for a prize that is temporary. I mean, think back, who won the Super Bowl 17 years ago? Unless it's one of, a team that you follow or you're just a sports nerd who knows everything about sports, most of us, we don't have a clue. I'll tell you this, it wasn't the Cleveland Browns. I say that as a lifelong Browns fan. You know, Lake Erie, they say Lake Erie is made up of the tears of Cleveland sports fans. It's like, I think it's pretty true. Come on, right? Anybody else with me? He says, listen, all these other athletes, they're, they're competing. They're putting their all into this. They're getting up before anybody else gets up in the morning. They're, they're investing the totality of their life for something that is temporary. And I can see him just looking these followers of Jesus in the eyes and he says, but you're different. You're different. Grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God lasts forever. The souls of men are eternal. There's only two things that are eternal. And Paul says, what are you living your life for? You're living your life for something that's just temporary. It's gonna rust. It's gonna disappear. No one's even gonna remember it. Or are you living your life for something that's gonna stand forever that is eternal? Man, come on. He says, discipline yourself. One of the things he said is he says, I discipline my body like an athlete. This is what Paul says. 
Paul says, I, I discipline myself. I discipline myself physically and spiritually and emotionally and in my relationships. Why? Because I've got my eye on a prize. And he says this at the end, and we talked about this last week, but he said, and, and these words haunt me. He goes, otherwise I don't wanna get to the end and find myself disqualified. That there is a chance that we could live an entire long lasting life and at the end we stand before the God of the universe and that he would look at us with eyes of, 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 of sorrow and say, I don't know you. Depart from me. I don't know you. We would go, no, 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 you, you know me. I went to Journey Church. You know me, I sang some of those songs. I mean, some of the songs I couldn't stand, but some of them, like, I sang those things. I even remember once back in 1983, I lifted a hand. The spirit was really moving. And I would read stuff. I had read the verse of the day every day. Like, I, and I don't know you. I don't know you. Jesus said that this will happen. This isn't me saying this. Jesus said that he's gonna say, I didn't know you. Man, I don't wanna be disqualified. I don't wanna be disqualified. I long for the whatever day I die, maybe it's this week, that when I stand before my heavenly father, that he looks at me and he's going, well done, come on. You're my son, good and faithful. You are a steward of what I entrusted to you and the time that I gave you and the talents I gave, like you did it, come on. Come on in to your eternal rest. I don't wanna be disqualified. I wanna be embraced. I wanna be welcomed. I want him to be beaming with pride, not because of me, just because I was faithful. I was a steward. Man, I'm telling you, this is what God wants for every person in this room. You say, Ken, you just had way too much coffee this morning. I swear I didn't drink a, I didn't drink a drop of coffee this morning. I'm passionate because your heavenly father is passionate for you. He's zealous for you. He's jealous for your time and attention. He longs for you to be in alignment with the spirit because he knows how much your life will flourish and how fruitful and fulfilled you will be if you're in alignment with him. A couple days ago, I think it was either Monday or Tuesday morning, I can't remember which morning it was, I was in here and I was reading, I have a one-year Bible and it has a Psalm that you read and it has a passage from the Old Testament, right now we're in Genesis and a passage from the New Testament and we're in Matthew and all three of my passages had to do with battling, battle, battle, battle. And so I get done reading that and go through the prayer time and I'm over in my office and I'm messaging with Bob Chrisman and Bob Christman's had a week, pray for him. I, I just, and, and so I'm talking to him and he says, man, I feel like God's given me a word for this year. And I'm like, oh man, I'd love to hear those. You know, people have different words. You see this on social media and, and, and we, love, like, we love the words that are like destiny. My word for this year is destiny. We love, some people have really flaky words. Have you noticed that? Have you, am I the only one who sees this online? Like people who have these words for the year? I, th I think it's cool. I especially love it when people come up with really cool like word art for it. So I'm waiting, Bob, wait, man, what's the, what's the word for this year, for 2022? And he says, the word is battle. And I'm like, I don't know if I like that word. 
right? Because when we think of battle, we think of, that sounds like work. That sounds like, you can get bloodied battling. You get sweaty, like battle, come on. Like I want something like prosperity. The word for 2022, right? Like no, battle. And you know, when I was thinking about this word battle for, for me growing up, battle was always, battle was, it was totally defensive. And even, even Ephesians 6, and I love Ephesians 6, and I totally agree with it, the full armor of God, like when it was presented, it was always presented as defensive measures. Put on the helmet of salvation, put on the breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of peace, get the shield of faith there. You make sure you, and, 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 and like the sword of the spirit was kind of an afterthought. Oh yeah, there was one missing. Okay, sword of the spirit. Oh, make sure you pray in the spirit on all occasions. Okay, get on. But I'm telling you, like God is calling some men in this room to battle spiritually some women in this room to battle spiritually, some high school students in this room that will say, I'm gonna battle spiritually. And listen, battling isn't just because we have a shrewd enemy who has fiery darts and he wants to take you down. No, battling is, I think of it as offensive. I'm preaching way better than you guys are letting on this morning. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I hope someone online shouting amen. Someone, if you're in your kitchen right now, just shout amen and maybe it'll dripple down into this place. Matthew 16, 18, we're still not at the verse that I'm gonna preach from. I promise we're not gonna be here all day. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus having a moment with his disciples and he says, come on, huddle up, huddle up. He says, listen, I got something really important to let you guys know. He says, I'm gonna build, guys, I'm gonna build a movement I'm gonna build the Greek word that he uses is ekklesia, which is a, this called out gathering of, for a purpose, for an intent, like an action oriented group of people. He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm building this ekklesia, this movement, this gathering of people. And he says, listen to me. He goes, even the gates of hell, even the defensive mechanisms of hell itself cannot begin to stand against this movement, against this ecclesia that I am building. What do we translate it? We translate it in our modern translations, church. Jesus, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell have no chance against it. You, you hear what Jesus is saying, right? He's not saying get in your holy huddle and you know, if you pray hard enough, maybe you won't die. <laughs> no, he's saying you guys are on the offense. Take hell by storm. Listen, this year I feel like God's calling us to battle. He's calling us to battle for our community. He's calling us to battle for our schools. He's calling us to battle for our factories and workplaces in this community. He's calling us to battle for those who don't have anybody else to battle for them, our foster kids. He's calling us to battle. He's calling us to battle for grandkids and for kids and for grandparents and for residents of nursing homes. He's calling us to battle, guys. He's calling us to battle. So here's the verse as I'm pacing around. God puts this verse in my mind. And it comes from 2 Chronicles 
chapter seven. And so I want you to turn to your Bibles and look this up. This is the one verse that we're gonna pay close attention to today, Second Chronicles. Now, sometimes we confuse this with Second Corinthians. Second Chronicles, the passage we're looking at is in the Old Testament. It's after First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. If you get to the book of Psalms, you've gone too far. So just kind of back up a little bit. Second Chronicles, we're gonna be in chapter seven. And I wanna give you plenty of time to look this up. Even if you got a, an app on your smartphone, go ahead and get out your phone and, and go Go to this. While you're looking it up, I want you to know what's going on here. The king of Israel is a guy named Solomon. Solomon is considered the wisest man. Solomon, man, he had the table set for him. His daddy was David, and David was the man. David was a military hero of Israel. Under David's expertise and under his authority and his reign, the expanses of Israel reached their furthest. And so when Solomon becomes king, the, the nation of Israel is at its zenith. And the wealth and the power and the influence and the reputation that Solomon had was undeniable, okay? And so Solomon gets to do something. The one thing that his dad was never allowed to do, Solomon is allowed to do. David wanted to build a temple to God. And God says, I appreciate your heart and I appreciate your passion, but David, I cannot allow you to build my temple because your hands are stained with blood because you've been a warrior. You can't do it, but here's the deal, David. You can, you can set the table, you can put it all together. Your son Solomon will be the one to build the temple. And so Solomon builds this temple and it is epic. And the resources that he personally and his family and the nation of Israel put into it are incredible. And they build this incredible temple to God and, and they get done with the construction and landscaping and get it furnished. And, and they invite the whole nation to come and hundreds of thousands of Israelites come to the city of Jerusalem to see this temple and they're gonna dedicate it to the Lord and, and they sacrifice, I mean, thousands of animals and there's all these prayers and bands that are playing music throughout this and, and Solomon prays like this incredible prayer to God and then something crazy happens. God answers. And I don't know how this works. I don't know if all the hundreds of thousands of people like hear it. I don't know if it's just Solomon who hears it, but, but, but somehow it's communicated to everyone. And I just wanna look at one verse of, of God's response to Solomon. And I think it's appropriate for us today. Second, Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, chances are you've heard this verse before. Chances are you've been at some prayer gathering or you've seen this, you know, as a nice little artwork thing that was shared on social media. And maybe, maybe you've heard this before, but I want you to think about these words that God is expressing to his people. He says, if then, if premise, the premise is you do all these things, then the promise, here's what I will do. Here's how I will show up. He says, if my people who are called by my name, listen, who is that? Now, some people would argue, they would say, well, this is a promise that was specific to the nation of Israel and it's not for us. And I get that and, and you can argue that and you probably have a lot of ground to, to but, but I really believe the spirit of God is saying, no, this is for my people for all generations. If my people, listen, I hope, I hope you're his people. I'm his people. 
Are you his people? If my people, and he goes a step further, he says, who are called by my name? And if there's any confusion, maybe you're going, I don't know if I'm called by his name. Listen, if you can hear my voice and you're paying attention this morning, you are called by his name. He's calling. He's calling. He's knocking on your heart's door. He's calling. Are you answering? Are you responding? Are you saying, yes, Lord, here I am. If my people who are called by my name, and here's the first part of the premise, the first action step that is our responsibility, he says, first of all, if they will humble themselves, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble themselves, humble themselves. Listen, I don't want anybody else to humble me. I certainly don't want God to have to humble me. God is saying, I'm looking for a group of people who will be a people marked by humility. Not because it's forced, not because some things are exposed and now they cry all these tears and I'm so sorry. No, no, people who voluntarily of their own will will humble themselves. We talked about this several months ago when we talked about the humility choice. And I think this really was what God is looking for. I think first and foremost, God is looking for a group of people who will be humble before him. Why? Because he's not gonna pour out his spirit. He's not gonna display his glory. He's not gonna show forth signs and wonders to a group of people that are filled with pride. In fact, that, that could be devastating because we begin to walk around going, look at me. I'm Reverend Kenneth J.D. Chant starting up the DeChant Evangelical Worldwide Association. And this is what we do, right? Get a publishing deal, get a podcast, build my platform. And slowly, it becomes all about me. I'm just using myself as an example. Every Christian has this tem- tendency, this temptation. In fact, I would say part of, the, part of the difficulty of living, there's so many blessings, so many great things about living in the United States of America, man. So many privileges, so many blessings. But can I tell you one of the difficulties of living in the United States of America is the water that we swim in as fish is selfishness. And we don't even see it. It's like, it's like a fish in the water. You ask a fish about the water and they say, what water? Selfishness is the water that we swim in, guys. Like we are trained, we are conditioned at an early age to think that life is all about me. (laughs) That life is all about you. That you deserve it. That you're the best. That you're the greatest. He is the greatest. Lord, your name and your renown is the desire of my heart. Not for me, not unto me, O Lord. And God will not move. And listen, why do we need a move of God? Why do we need a move of God? Because we have people who walk through these doors every week that are looking for an answer. We're not looking for a move of God so we can go home or go to a restaurant afterward and go, ooh, I had the heebie-jeebies today at church. God really moved today. Man, I I even started sweating in my back. I knew God was moving. They sang my favorite song. Worship was great today. 
This, this is not why we want to move God. We want to move of God because there's people walking, the, every single week there's people walking through these doors. I've done funerals for, for kids, I'll call them kids, early, in their early 20s who have died of overdoses and they walked into our church and out of our church and never sensed the presence of God. And it grieves me because people are looking for answers. And I long for a day when would people even drive onto the property of Journey and they go, there's something different about this place. And they walk in the doors and they go, I don't, even, I don't even know if I believe in God, but man, there's some vibes in that place. And people come up for prayer because they're broken over their addictions and God just gets a hold of them and he sets them free and he releases them. And prodigals start coming home to Jesus. Listen, this is why we're after a move of God. We're not after a selfish move of God. We're after a move of God because there's people who need healing. People who are under the, 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 the foot of the enemy of depression and despair and feeling like there's no reason for living. Guys, we've gotta have a move of God. We need God to heal our land. And it starts with if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. This is why every day I wake up and part of my prayer, like the first thing I pray every day when I pray is, God, I come before you and I confess that apart from you, I am nothing, I have nothing. I am broken, I am helpless, I am powerless. My own righteousness is that of filthy rags. God, apart from you, I have nothing. Why am I doing that? I wanna humble myself. I wanna humble myself. Guys, we need to be humble as a church. Instead of looking down our noses at other people, instead of comparing ourselves with other people, instead of saying, well, at least I'm not like. No, we can't be that way. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and what's the next word? And pray. Prayer has gotta be our ambition. Prayer has gotta be like our number one priority as a church is praying. Prayer isn't something that we have to do. Prayer is something we get to do. I talked about that last week. You gotta be a people of prayer. Prayer is just conversation with God. Prayer is, prayer is me coming before God and saying, God, you are so awesome. Let me just remind myself, you don't need to be reminded. Let me just remind myself of how awesome you are, God. Let me remind myself of how powerful you are. Let me remind myself of how immutable and unchanging you are, how eternal you are, how good you are, how loving you are, how full of mercy you are. I'm reminding myself of who God is and it is building me up. Sorry for all the spit. You're used to it, sorry. Get you guys a rain poncho. Prayer, prayer, is, prayer is recognizing the greatness of God and pray, praise is always declaring the greatness of God. Pray, when we talk about praise, this, praise is always, it is, it is always uh, vocal. It's out loud. It's declaring who God is. Prayer, prayer is declaring the greatness of God. Prayer is, is interceding for others. God, I'm coming before you, not just for myself, I'm coming before you for this person and for this person. It's confession of sin. It's recognizing my own brokenness. It's as if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And then he says, and seek my face. That's a weird phrase. 
You don't use it. You don't use this. Tomorrow when you're on the line at Whirlpool, you won't tell a buddy about seeking your face. That's, that's a weird thing, right? Carter, you're not gonna say that at school tomorrow. Hey man, you wanna seek my face? Yeah, I'll send it to the office. Right? Like what is, seek my face, this is an Old Testament, you see this a lot in the Old Testament. Seeking my face was about prioritizing the presence of God. That's what, when he says seek my face, he's saying I want you to prioritize my presence above everything else. This is why David, David would write with this language all the time. If you look through the Psalms, he's constantly talking about this. In fact, David who was one of the most powerful men on earth at one point when he was living. He was the most powerful man on earth and he writes these words. He goes, God, I would rather spend one day in your presence in your courts than to spend a thousand in the Oval Office or a thousand days in a penthouse suite in New York City or a thousand days with all of the wealth of Elon Musk. God, I would rather have just one day in your presence. And I think something would happen in the church if followers of Jesus would actually begin to think that way and live that way. That the priority of my life is the presence of God. And truth be told, many of us can go days at a time where the presence of God isn't even on our radar. that we would prioritize his face, his presence. God, I need you. I need your presence in my life. I wanna seek your face above all else. There's a lot of great things in life. There's a lot of great pursuits in life. Man, pursue those things. But if the number one pursuit of your life is not the presence of God, you will be missing out you'll be missing out. And if you have kids and they're in a formative, year, formative years of their life right now, man, they need to see that the priority of your life is Christ. In fact, you're doing them a disadvantage when you make the priority of your life them and their activities. Soccer practices will come and they will go. I wanna prioritize the presence of God. You hear what I'm saying? He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And then it's interesting that the fourth one is turn from their wicked ways. Like if a good Pentecostal preacher, if they were writing this, would have put that first. Well, ha, y'all gonna go to hell, ha. Turn from, ha, your wicked, ha, ways, ha. Right? Carrie's over there going, stop it now right now it's not funny stop it she's right it's not funny but here here's just my my thought I think there's a reason why God puts these in this order is that if if I'm humbling myself if I'm praying if I'm seeking the face of God then when it comes to turning from my wicked ways it will not come because I have to it will come out of just a thirst and a hunger for the things of God we've all seen people who have turned from their wicked ways on a camera, preachers sobbing because they got caught with a woman who wasn't their wife. Oh, they're repentant, but it started with that. Instead of starting with humbling themselves and praying and seeking the face of God, repentance becomes real when I'm doing those first three things. 
And it's not just about, I'm sorry, it's about, I'm gonna change for the glory of God. I'm not gonna be the same person. I'm not gonna do things just because the world says that it's all right for me to do. I'm not looking for permission from culture. I'm looking at what does the word of God have to say, and I'm living my life in alignment with the word of God. Not with Hollywood, not with New York City, not with Washington, D.C., If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, here's my favorite word, then. You go, well, that's a stupid word to think is your favorite. I just love it. It's a turning point. It's the pivot. God says, if, now here we go, then. Then, what's he gonna do? Then will I, what? Hear from where? Think of this, guys. He promises that if we will do these things, he, the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the immutable God, he will turn from heaven and out of seven billion people on this planet, he will incline his ear toward you, turn his face toward you, listen to you. That's an incredible promise. I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins. Lord, forgive us. And notice it's in the plural. It's not just your, this isn't just an individual activity. Like if I just do this on my own, there's, there's some power and you should be doing this on your own. But man, if we could do this as a community, as a gathering of Jesus followers, watch out. He says, I will, I will forgive their sins. And then here's a clincher. I will what? Heal their land. Heal their land. When you look at this word heal, it's like a total renewal. Like, and, and it's not just heal in the sense that like creation itself, earth, shrubbery, vegetation, animals, like it is, it is, a, it is, it is going back to Eden. It is, it is relationships, human relationships beginning to flourish as God originally intended them. That in my relationship, even just, even take the relationship I have with my wife, Carrie, that even in my relationship with my wife, Carrie, that there's no competitiveness, there's no comparing, there's no, there's no ego, there's no selfishness, that there is total and absolute honesty and intimacy. Like think, and then take that to every other relationship around you. Like he goes, when he says, I'm gonna heal your land, like it's not just, oh, the grass is greener than it was before. It's like relationships even, humans begin to flourish, that there's a fulfillment and fruitfulness that we haven't experienced. This is what's at stake. So my question is, do you want it? Question is, do we want it? As a church, are we gonna fight for it? Are we gonna battle? for this promise of God? Or are we gonna say, you know what? I like the promises, but the premise part, that was a little rough. I don't know. Like, I just wanna watch this stupid, meaningless game today between the Bengals and the Browns, even though hardly anybody's actually playing. Like, I'll, I'll spend my time with that, thank you very much. What if we got excited about what God has to say? What if we believed that he would actually do those things that he says that he would do? What if we decided that the premise, the part that is our responsibility, yeah, it's hard, but it's worth doing because the promise is so important. 
What if the stakes are high enough for the people that we love and we know, the people we've been praying for, what if the stakes are high enough that God healing our land is actually worth fighting for and battling for? You say, Ken, battle. Like, what do you mean when you say battle? The greatest battle the followers of Jesus can take on is the battle of prayer. And a week is not gonna do it. We're gonna continue over the next couple of weeks. I'm just praying and saying, God, show me, how can, how can we be a church of prayer? Not just a church where prayer is part of a list of 20 things that we do, but how can we be a church of prayer that when outsiders begin to look at us, they go, that's a church that prays. Then when God looks at us, then he says, that's a church that prays. So we're gonna spend a few minutes practicing this. If we can't practice this here and now, we're not gonna do it anywhere else. We're not gonna drive from home to come to church to do it. If we, if we can't do it in five minutes or so at the end of a sermon. So I'm gonna conclude. We've already done the announcements. You can give on your way out, done all that stuff. I'm gonna conclude and if, if you need to go, you're welcome to go. And my prayer is that we would all spend at least five minutes staying in this room and just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna spend time praying. I want us to spend at least five minutes in prayer. And some of you are going, man, five minutes praying? Like I only know three prayers. I know the prayer over my food. I know the lay, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. And I know like the Our Father and even parts of that I get stuck on. How am I gonna pray for five minutes? And I would remind you prayer doesn't just have to be you talking. Prayer can be you listening. So I'm gonna invite our prayer partners who, who maybe who are signed up for today or maybe you weren't even signed up for today, but you're willing to help me out. I want all of my prayer partners that are willing to help me even right now, just to come and stand right up over in this section over here, this half of the platform over here. If you, if you want someone to pray for you and with you, I want you to come to one of these prayer partners in just a moment, they're gonna get set up. If you wanna find a place of prayer by yourself where no one's gonna bother you, no one's gonna lay their hands on you or pray over you or spit on you or whatever, that's what this section over here is gonna be for. You just wanna find a place to pray. You say, well, why can't I pray in my seat? You can pray in your seat. But the Bible talks a lot about getting out of where you are and going to someplace else. There's something about a proximity and we have consecrated this space. We call it the altar. It's a space that we've set, set apart and said, God, this is a space where we expect that you're gonna move in people's hearts and lives. Uh, some of you are, are walkers when you pray. I, I pray, I, I, I walk all the time when I'm praying. And so all around this room, we have almost 30 sheets of paper on the walls that all have different prayer uh, expressions. And, and so maybe you just wanna get out of your seat and just go to one of the walls around the room. And maybe you, wanna, maybe you just wanna park yourself at one of these. Maybe you wanna walk around and look at some of the other ones. And, and as you're reading it, make it a prayer to God. We have a whiteboard over here where people have written prayer requests. And maybe you wanna add a prayer request. Maybe you just wanna, I was looking at these prayer requests a little bit ago and just, grieving and just put my hand on the board saying God these needs are too heavy maybe you want to pray over those prayer needs maybe you just want to sit where you're at and that's cool too if you, all you ever do is sit do something different change it up get out of the, the stuckness do something that'll rattle you. It's a little just uncomfortable, just a little. You don't have to go all the way uncomfortable. Just, just allow yourself to be a little uncomfortable. We're just gonna say, God, these next five minutes are yours. If you wanna stay beyond five minutes, Carrie will keep playing. 
But you're welcome, you're welcome to leave on your own. I'm not gonna come back up here and dismiss. So whenever you need to leave, you're welcome to leave. Let, let's, let's press into God. Let's press into Him. Let's humble ourselves. Let's pray. Let's seek His face. Let's confess some stuff. Let's turn from our wicked ways. And let's believe that He will do what He said He will do if we'll do what we are to do.